would you think if uh, this morning into the church parking lot, uh, right in front of you drives a cherry red shiny Ferrari, and it comes in and it turns on a dime into the parking spot right next to you, and then out of that same Ferrari, a man you've never seen before, perfectly tailored Armani suit, matching silk tie. Tell you what, this guy's well-groomed, he's looking good, he smells like a million bucks, uh, he's coming into Walloon Church this morning. Will you be sure to greet him? Will you uh, make that extra effort to make sure you remember his name? And what are you thinking about this man? Based on his appearance, uh, what are you thinking about him? So right after he gets seated, the countdown clock finishes. Andy and the band worshiping Christ. This is amazing grace, right? Uh, and during the meet and greet time, uh, you see out of the corner of your eye, another guy that you've never seen enter. Uh, he's, uh, he's a guest this morning in Walloon Church. He looks a little different. Uh, I don't know if you can see that, but that's a Budweiser t-shirt he's wearing. Tattered jeans that appear not to have seen a washing machine in many weeks. Uh, he's also, you can't see him, but he's wearing red Crocs. You know, red Crocs, bright red. You notice the unkept beard, and he's not smelling like a million bucks, if you know what I mean. Okay? Uh, you find out later he drove in to uh, the church. That's an 87 Ford Escort. Hole in the muffler. Parked just a few spots down from the Ferrari. You've never seen or met this man either. Same questions. Will you go out of your way to greet him? Will, uh, will you make an extra effort to remember his name? And the final question is, you've never met him, but what are you thinking about this man based on his appearance? James is going to make that exact same picture for us today in James chapter 2. He's writing to Jesus' followers who've scattered all over the Roman world. They have been persecuted and therefore they're on the run. And now they've uh, taken up residence all over because in Acts chapter 8 some intense persecution breaks out and now they've had to scatter and literally run for their lives. And now these brothers and sisters, track with me, once you understand the setting, they used to be in the church at Jerusalem. James was their pastor. Now they're living hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And since this is likely the very first New Testament book written, did you know that? Most scholars think this is the first one. That means there's no other New Testament to read from. There's no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John yet. There's no uh, book of Romans or Ephesians or Galatians to study. Those wouldn't be written for another 20, 30 years after Paul has planted churches all around the Roman world, places where they're currently residing. So James is writing here, James chapter 2, to remind them. James is writing to challenge them don't adopt the Roman method of getting ahead. 
Don't, don't follow their lead. Don't imitate your pagan, unsaved neighbors. Don't fall into the trap of judging people based on outward appearances. That's the challenge here this morning. Make sure you don't follow their lead, especially, specifically, don't treat the rich man better than you treat the poor man. That's the challenge specifically today. Don't treat the rich person next to you better than you do the poor people around you. Don't show favoritism. That's the word that James uses here. Don't show favoritism to the wealthy and the powerful and neglect and mistreat those who are living in poverty. That was the Roman method. Ignore the poor, treat them as garbage, and do everything you can for the wealthy around you. Why is this a good message for us today? Track with me. We're living in the richest country with, with the strongest economy. The stock market has never been higher, folks. This is the richest country at the richest time in our history. There are more wealthy, there are more millionaires, there are more billionaires in our country today than ever in all of history. So this is important because we need to be reminded and challenged, just like James is writing to the people who are scattered, because uh, they needed not to adopt the Roman culture, we're living here in the northern Gold Coast of Michigan. We need to be reminded as well. Would you stand with me, please, if you're able? We're going to read out loud together the first 13 verses. James chapter 2. Here we go, verse 1. Read with me. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, are grateful for your word. It tells us things we need to hear. It reminds us and challenges us about things that we easily forget and neglect. So, Lord, we just acknowledge we live in a world and a culture that shouts that rich and wealthy people are more important. It shouts that life consists in the abundance of toys that we can accumulate. So, Lord, would you help us to adjust our thinking? Lord, would would you help us to push those lies and illusions out of our minds and our hearts? Empower us, Lord, to live and think and speak what your inspired book tells us is true. Because this, this is our instruction manual. Lord, put a guard over this sinner's mouth. Because Jesus, we need to hear from you this morning. We invite you once again, Lord, today into your church. We take charge of your bride this morning. Lord, we ask that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, might fill this room with streams of living water. Help us, Lord, to to learn the lesson that we learned last week. Not just to be hearers of your word, but Lord, help us instead to be doers and live out what you say to us this morning. So we love you, we yield, and we surrender to you. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, Here's the key point. Taking notes, get this one down. Here we go. James is driving this home to us. Uh, Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not compatible with showing favoritism. Okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you said yes to Jesus and the cross and the shed blood and the empty tomb. That faith in Christ does not go with Showing favoritism, partiality. Favoritism literally means to receive by face. Track with me. It means to judge another person by their outward appearance. So you see somebody, you don't know them, you've never met them, you don't know their story, but you're making value judgments on their externals. It means sometimes... We look at somebody and we assign worth or value to someone based on the color of their skin. We assign value or worth to somebody based on the kind of car they drive. We assign value or worth by the type of clothes that they wear, by the town where they live in, how they speak, what they appear to look like. They've got... They've got things going on. They've got things in their lives that are different from you. And we assign worth. We make judgments about them. Favoritism is what we would call today prejudice. Prejudice, again, I, I don't know you. I've never met you individually. But I already think things about you because of the way you look. It's being critical. It's being suspicious. Because someone is from a different economic status than you. 
It's looking at someone and, and you're not the same gender. You're not the same age. You, you're not the same race as me. You, you have a different hairstyle than I do. And it's very easy for us now. I'm going to make judgments based on that. Look at verse 1. James is right down the middle on this. Very clear. My brothers and sisters talking to the church, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. It's that We could stop right there. It's pretty clear. Don't play favorites. Partiality, favoritism, prejudice. It's a sign that we've been polluted by the world. Go back to chapter 1, verse 27. It's a sign that we are hearers of God's word, James 1, 22, but we're not doers. We know what God's book says, but we're not living it out. Now James gives us an example. Likely a real-life example uh, of what had happened in the church or in their meetings. They're, they're scattered, so maybe just a small group of them are meeting together and now this occurs, verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. He's wearing a gold ring, fine clothes. Poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Verse 3. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, well, we got a really good seat for you, but then to the poor man, say, well, just stand over here in the corner or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves, become judges with evil thoughts? Into Walloon Church walks in Mr. Wealthy and Mr. Poor. Into the church today is uh, the Mr. Have, Mr. Have Not. You've got the Armani suit guy driving the Ferrari, uh, ushered in now. He's sitting down here front next to the pastors, come down here. We, we want you to meet everybody. And the man with the messy beard and the Budweiser t-shirt, I don't know if you know this, but we got a back staircase, so, so we usher him up the back stairs. Go, go way up in the balcony so nobody really sees you. That's the situation he's describing. Verse 4, God's Word said, when we make distinctions and judgments on outward appearances, we don't know the guy with the messy beard. We, we don't know the man in the Armani suit. When we base our judgments on the externals, when we treat the poor with disdain and disrespect, when we treat the wealthy with honor and favor, look at the last part of verse 4. This isn't subtle. He says that's evil. That's sin. It's not just, a, well, you're not doing so good. No, it's wrong. It's sin because that's prejudicial thinking and it contradicts our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Very clear. It doesn't go to, it's not compatible. Those two things shouldn't be going together. Now, it's very possible that some of you are thinking right now, why is James, why is Pastor Jeff so worked up over favoritism? Because it happens all the time. We know that's true. All the time, northern Michigan, that's just the way the world is. 
everybody all around us makes value judgments based on how people look on the outside. That's why many of us care so much what kind of car we drive, uh, what town we live in. It matters how we dress because we know it, they're judging us based on how we look, how we appear on the outside. How do we know that? Because we're judging them the very same way. Hold your spot in James 2. I want to show you something really important, something key. Back in the Old Testament, the fifth book of the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10 tells us something really important about God Almighty. Deuteronomy 10, slide down to verse 17. Here's what it says. And now, uh, for the Lord your God is God of gods. Okay, he's telling you, he's not just little g God, there's little g God. So he's, cap, he's the creator of everything. And Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. So he's like saying, this is who our God is. And now it's about to tell us something very important about this mighty, awesome God. Mighty and awesome who shows no partiality. He, he shows no favoritism. He accepts no bribes. Oh, by the way, this God defends the cause of the fatherless, the widow, loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. In other words, God Almighty cares deeply about the poor amongst you. He's got a heart for the poor. And if you're a follower of Jehovah God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, then you better not be playing favorites either. You understand? He, he doesn't play favorites. He's not prejudiced. And if we consistently practice partiality and prejudice, we're going against the character of the God we say we love. The one we say we follow. Again, some would say, but, but everybody around me does it. Uh, this world is brimming full of people who consistently practice partiality, favoritism, prejudice. So, here's my question. We who know and follow Jesus, are we called to fashion our lives after Jesus Christ and God's Word, or are we called to fashion and model our lives after this fallen, sinful, selfish world. Let, let that question settle in. Who, who are we supposed to follow? Which lead? Jesus or this world? Which is it, church? Do we follow Jesus and his book, or do we follow what everybody around us does? And the answer is, it better be. If we're followers of Jesus, I'm going to follow what the book says, and I'm going to follow his lead. Back to James chapter 2. He's not done yet continues his reasoning why favoritism is wrong. He actually is going to make the case. It doesn't even make logical sense. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, talking to the church. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now he's talking to the rich. But you've dishonored the poor. Is not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? 
Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the whole name of him to whom you belong? Slide down to verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin. So it's just kind of summary there. And if you're not listening well, you're just in sin. Now you need to understand, okay? Poverty was the dominant condition economically of the early church. Almost all of the early church were, were, were people who were poor. Why? Why is he writing mostly to poor people? Because they had to scatter and run. They couldn't take their business with them. They couldn't take their houses with them. So now they've left their homes, their jobs, their social networks. They've had to flee the church family. And they took good care of each other. They're off hiding from persecution. One ancient historian wrote that over 90% of the population in the Roman world lived in poverty. 90% living on the brink of disaster and death, day-to-day existing, day-to-day surviving, day-to-day recognizing, uh, I I have no safety net. And the other 10%, the other 10% were the people usually born in wealth. So if you were part of the 10%, that usually your offspring and their offspring would continue to be living in wealth and status and privilege. It was this ruling class, the 10%, that made all the decisions. They were typically the rulers. They were the ones who were in charge. They had the power. They had the influence. They had the money. Make sense? So James is writing here, chapter 2, mostly to impoverished Christians. That's who he's talking to. Followers of Jesus living far away from Jerusalem. They've lost their support system, and now many of them have had to become servants or sell themselves into slavery to survive. That's how desperate they were. And now they're living far away And he's saying, verse 6, follow the reasoning, the rich are exploiting and dominating you. They're dominating the poor. They're taking advantage of their position. They're not paying you what you really deserve to be paid. Verse 6. Secondly, second part of verse 6, the wealthy are using the court system, the law, to their advantage. How is that? Well, they can hire the best lawyers. They live next door to the judges. Uh, They they can offer a bribe. They have the means to do so. And if none of that is going on, they could always come in dressed fancy, and they could come with their status and impress the courtroom. That's his point, verse 6. They're they're taking advantage of the law. Verse 7, he says, And these same rich and powerful people are guilty of blasphemy, blaspheming the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, you know, almost all of them, the the rich 10%, they're making fun, they're mocking our devotion to Christ. They're laughing about our devotion to the shed blood and the empty tomb. They call us a bunch of losers. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28, you can write that down, but that's basically who Paul says the church is, we're a bunch of nobodies. He didn't call the rich 
the influential, the powerful. No, he called the nobodies of this world to follow Jesus Christ. And yet, follow his reasoning, despite all that being true, when some rich guy walks into your little small group, your little church, even though you don't know anything about him, you are so in awe of his fancy clothes. Wow, look at him. Look at his jewelry. Look at his car. You treat him like as a king. You, you act as though he's a long-lost friend. That's what Paul's saying. Excuse me, James is saying, and, and I can't believe it. And yet the guy who comes in who's really dressed more like you, only he's dressed a little worse than you, and, and now you look at him, and he's in an awful place, and you say, mm, I don't want anything to do with you. You treat him like garbage. <laughs> the key issue, give me your eyes. Jesus' followers, James is saying, wealthiest nation in all of history, at the peak of our affluence, we've swallowed the same lie. Here's the lie that we believe. High position in life comes from wealth and riches. The one with the most toys, that's the one who has the highest place in our world. And we in the church have bought that lie. In, in, in the church, early church that James writes, they believed this lie as well. But here's what God's word, look at verse 5. Here's what God's word says is true. High position in life comes from our high position in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with toys or money or wealth. High position in this life comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, uh, being rich in Jesus is the wealth of true value that lasts, that makes a difference in our todays and all of our tomorrows. That's where true wealth comes from. It's from Jesus and knowing Him and, and our identity and our position in Christ. Now, here's the here's, uh, final question. Why, why do we act this way? Think about it. Why, why do we show favoritism? Why do we show partiality to some people? Um, why do we show and display prejudice to people based on the externals? I was going to give you five reasons. I'm actually going to add a six because the Lord uh, just reminded me, oh yeah, that sixth one should be talked about too. Ready? Here we go. Uh, six reasons why uh, we so often live in favoritism, partiality, and prejudice. First, when we meet someone we're pretty sure is wealthy, how, how do we know that? Well, look at the car they're driving. Look at uh, the house they live in. Look at the clothes they're wearing. Look at the jewelry they're wearing. Um, many of us look at them and we say, I want them to think highly of me. Now, this is, this is silly thinking, but it's true. Obviously, they're smarter, better, more important than me, because look at their high status in wealth. So if they like us, if they're impressed with poor little old me, then I'll feel better about me too. It's warped thinking, I get it. But, but one of the key things is we want them to like us and think we're really good people, because then I'll start thinking that's true of me. But, but you gotta, you people who I value so high, you have to think that way about me, so I'll think that way about me. 
It's true. It's, it's, it's a little strange. Uh, second reason is a little more flat out there for us. We're prone to favoritism because if I get on the good side of an affluent person, they might hire me. <laughs> they might give me a raise. They might give me a better tip. They might include me in their, their, their boating trip. They, they might take me with them to their exclusive restaurant. They, they might let me play golf with them. They, they might give me hand-me-downs when, when they're done with them. I, I'm telling you, one reason we show them favoritism is because we want them to share their wealth with us. Give me, got my hand out here. And like me, like me, and then would you give me some of your stuff? Third reason we look down on the, on the poor, this is, uh, uh, this is kind of the opposite of that. They got nothing to offer me. They got nothing to give. You know, if I hang with poor people, there, there's no advantage there. Matter of fact, just the opposite, uh, I might look on their situation and the Lord starts working on my heart. It might actually cost me money. If I hang with poor, uh, the Lord might say you, you need to help them out in this way. So I don't want to hang out with them because they've got nothing to help. I just think about being in Chicago mostly, Detroit, homeless people. And, and you know they're there. They really want you to help them. And, and I'm not saying that they're going to use the money always well. But here, here's the trick. If you don't want to help somebody... When you're in a big city and you see them, here's the trick. You ready? You ignore them. You never look them in the eye. Never. You just march right on. Because if you stop and look them in the eye, you know and they know you've just acknowledged them and now you're in a vulnerable position. So that, that's the trick. Just don't look. Don't look. Fourth reason we show prejudice. That was extra. I wasn't planning on saying that. Uh, the poor are not good for my image. You know what I'm saying? People might associate, if I hang with them too much, then they'll start thinking I'm one of them, and I'll lose my standing with, with other people who, who might be more well-to-do. So status might take a hit. Uh, I can't be hanging with the nobodies too often, or otherwise people start thinking you're one of them. Okay. Fifth reason that I'll mention why we judge and ignore we assume they've done something wrong to deserve their position. We, we make the assumption, well, surely you've, you've caused this. The reason you're in bad straits is because you've deserved it, and therefore, I don't want to hang with you because I don't want your bad mojo. You got bad karma, you got bad luck, you got bad something going on, and I don't want to catch it. I, I don't want to get... To get uh, a part of that, so I'm going to ignore and stay away from you. Sixth reason. This is the one that the Lord said, no, no, you're going to say this one, because I think this one might be the most fundamentally core to everything else. This is why we struggle so much with favoritism, partiality, and prejudice. You ready? Because I learned it from mom and dad who learned it from grandma and grandpa, who learned it from great-grandma and great-grandpa, who learned it from great-great-grandma and great-great-grandpa. Where do you get that, Pastor Jeff? I'll just give you three. There's actually about ten verses. Uh, 
that says that Exodus 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, Psalm 30, uh, 79, 8 says this. Sin spreads down to the third and fourth generation. Understand? So, if, if you've got parents uh, and grandparents who showed prejudice, who played favorites, who were involved in partiality, made judgments all the time uh, about people they've never met. They didn't know them, but instantly, based on externals, they're making judgments. Can I tell you something? That's the way you think, because that's the way you were raised. That's what you saw. That's what you heard. And, and here's the challenge, parents, grandparents. If you don't get a grip on this, guess what's going to happen with our kids? Uh, it, we'll pass it down to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren down to the great-great-grandchildren. It's true. It's true. A lot, a lot of this, you, you think about some of the partiality shown in, in the Middle East and the deep hatred people have. Children don't, they're not born that way. How do they, how do they become so prejudiced? I'm telling you. From mom and dad, from grandma and grandpa. They, they, they see it, they learn it, it's quickly passed down. I'm convinced that if, and I'm convinced down to my toes on this one, if Jesus and James were standing here right now, and they were talking to us, they would say this, okay? Every person you meet this week, there's not going to be one person that you come across that's not fearfully and wonderfully made, made in God's image. Okay, You will never meet anybody in your path this week who is not bearing the image of God Almighty. And they are fearfully and wonderfully made, which leads us to the second thing that's true. Every person you meet ahead in this week to come is someone that Jesus loves so much that he willingly went to the cross for them. you got to be thinking that way. You know, Jesus died on the cross for that person. And you're thinking, they look different. They're talking different. They're behaving different than I'm used to. And yet Jesus willingly shed his blood for their greatest problem in life, which is also mine and yours. We're sinners. Jesus willingly took their place in the tomb, an early Sunday morning he arose from the dead. Why? Because he wants to save their souls and offer them new life. Every person you meet, he wants to offer new hope, new reason to live, new life in Jesus Christ. Even if they look different from you. Even if they talk different from you. Even if they have tattoos and nose rings and piercings and colors of hair that you're not used to. Jesus loves them and died for them, and especially those you meet that you're pretty sure they don't have any money in the bank. I'm pretty sure. How do you know that? Because look at the car they're driving, and I know for a fact they're working full-time for 10 bucks an hour. Those people were called to love and listen and befriend and help out. The people that Jesus puts in our path. We're called to love them like Jesus. Did you know that? Every person you meet in this week ahead, we're called to love like Jesus.
and the sin of partiality, the sin of favoritism, the sin of prejudice is not something we can just tolerate and say, well, everybody else does it, so it must be okay. It's sin. James and Jesus are saying, no, 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 ruthlessly rip that out of your lives. Do whatever it takes. You need to work through that and eliminate that from your life, follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're not just hearers of this book, are we? We're called to be what? Say it with me. We're doers. We're doers. I don't just listen to this and say, oh, that's nice, and I'll shut it up, and I, you know, I'm not doing it. No. Put it to practice. By God's grace, whatever it takes. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Lord, thank you for making things very simple and clear to understand. Matter of fact, this is so simple and so clear that some of us will be tempted just to rush through and ignore it. Because it's hard. It's challenging. But we just pause for a moment because we're all in different places on this, Lord. We invite Jesus and your spirit, Lord, show us how favoritism might have become a part of our lives. It's subtle. It's sneaky. Speak, Lord. We're listening. I wonder if anybody would say, Lord, uh, you've spoken, it's clear. You've made something that I've allowed to stick in my life, and you call it sin, and I'm not going to excuse it or ignore it anymore. And I'm asking, Lord, even today, that you'll give me the strength to ruthlessly eliminate that sin from my life. I want to get victory in this area, Lord. Would you show me? Make it clear what it's going to take for me to get rid of this prejudice, of, of this partiality and favoritism that I've allowed to become a part of my thinking. You may be here, and uh, I need to ask a few questions of you. Did you know you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Every man, woman, child, fearfully and wonderfully made. Image bearers of God Almighty. Did you know that Jesus left the glory and the splendor of heaven? Willingly took on a human body, lived a sinless life. Therefore, Jesus alone qualifies to be the sinless Savior for all sinners throughout history. Jesus willingly took your place and mine on the cross. Jesus shed His blood for my greatest problem, which is yours as well. We're sinners. He took our place in the grave for three days. And in early Sunday morning, literally 
physically, bodily Jesus arose from the dead. He did that for you. Defeated sin. Defeated Satan. Defeated death. He did that for everyone. Are you ready to say, you know what? Jesus, that changes everything. I'm ready to say yes to that, Jesus. I'm ready to say, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. And right where you're seated, right where you're watching online, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, my King. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do it your way. Thank you, Lord for being that mighty king who loves us and rescues us and even gives us victory from ugly sin. Thank you for that. Pray for my friends here today. Help us to live like Jesus. and Give us victory over what you've made very clear to us this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus.